Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. We have been looking at the Church of Ephesus, and our study of the Church of Ephesus has brought us to the book of Ephesians. And this is a letter written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is in modern-day Asia Minor, Turkey, uh, today. And uh, it's written by Paul, who was in prison for the very gospel that he Uh, proclaimed in that land and we see that there is a church established here the gospel is bearing fruit in them there's a community gathered around the name of Jesus and his works and uh, and so he is addressing this church and in particular last week he was addressing them um, in accordance to their unity wherever uh, wherever the people gather in the name of Jesus there ought to be unity because that's what he does. We, we understood already from the book of Ephesians that Jesus destroys hostility between races and even like religious superiority. Jesus destroys those barriers to give access to all people who come to him. All people who come to Jesus have access to God. And Paul writes to them to, to establish them in that truth that there should be nothing that would bring division between them that pertains to the truth. So he calls them in, in chapter uh, 4, verse 1, he says, he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called. And he tells them that the way to walk in a manner worthy of your calling is to walk in unity, to be eager to preserve the unity of the faith, in the bond of peace, and the way we do that is by being intentional about pursuing humility, being intentional about pursuing gentleness, being intentional about pursuing patience, being intentional about pursuing love or bearing with one another in love, and being in all of that sustains a community that wants to be unified. Jesus unifies us, we preserve that unity, or we dissolve it. So we have that responsibility to be intentional about unity. Now, Paul writes to them to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one one another in love, not because these are some nice virtues to, to pursue, but because this is the very thing that the Holy Spirit is producing in them. As we know, if you read Galatians, it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the Spirit of God is already producing this in you. And the truth is, is that when this fruit is produced in you, it's only, you can only see a humble person when their humility is tested. You can see a gentle person when their gentleness is tested. The reality is, is that as we gather in community, all of these things, uh, there, there will be opportunities that arise to dissolve unity. 
But we as a people need to be intentional and eager to preserve the unity in the faith, right? So we have Holy Spirit working inside of us, and we gather around shared beliefs. Paul's point is that we are one. There's no reason to divide or, be, or have disunity because we are ultimately part of a singular body. That is the body of Christ. That anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus is, is part of the universal church, which is called the body of Christ. We have one spirit. There's not more than one Holy Spirit. It's one Holy Spirit. So we share that belief. We share one hope of, a, of our calling. We share one Lord. There's one singular Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God and Father of all. What he's driving us, what he's calling us to is to oneness and unity. And we ought to be eager to preserve that. When we get to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7, what we see is in that verse 7, there is a pivotal verse. I think verse 7 is a pivotal verse. But before we go into explaining or highlighting things, what I want to do is read uh, verses 7 through 16 and then highlight some things as we go through. Is that okay with everybody? Yeah. Good. So here we are. Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and, gave, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Verse 7 is a pivotal point because up to then he had been talking about unity, but in verse 7 he starts making a di distinction. And this distinction, according to verse 7, it says, says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us. That's to the individual according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace, as we know, as we have learned, is an empowerment from God. Another way to say that is an ability. You can do something as a result of receiving this. What we see here is that this grace that was given to us 
is a gift. It's freely given, and a gift, in this way, the emphasis is on you not needing to do anything to receive this gift or to merit this gift. In fact, the word for gifts emphasizes the giver, not the one receiving it. It emphasizes the goodness of the one who is giving the gift. And we see that the gift is given and the measure or the the determined portion or what is determined as enough is determined by Jesus himself. And so the measure in which Jesus uses to give you grace is what he says. Actually, what he gives to us is a spirit without measure. That's what Jesus offers to us. So, what you have in Jesus is enough, and what you have is more than enough, for he gives it without measure. What I want, to, uh, what I want you to understand here, what I, I want you to see the flow of why he gives the gifts that he gives. So, the only way that he can give the gifts is if he is victorious and triumphant. When you look at verses 8 through 10, what you ought to understand, I know that it's a little odd to follow. He ascended, therefore he descended. And, but, you know, what, what does that all entail? What that, the, the gist of that is that Jesus' gift of empowerment to us is connected to his triumphant ascension. Jesus came, speaks of his incarnation, his descension, his descending, Jesus' death or his perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension speaks of his victory. He bore our sins on the cross. Amen? He defeated death in his resurrection. And like a triumphant king, he ascended above all the heavens so that he can fill all things. The vision or the picture that you and I should receive is of a king who goes to conquer a land and when he conquers it, comes back, ascends his throne with a procession of the captives behind him and also all of the spoils that he uh, received or acquired when he conquered. And so the picture is that Jesus, when he conquered your sin, when he conquered your death and in his resurrection, he ascended into the right, to the right hand of the Father and from there he divides his spoils onto his people so that you can, can do something with it. That is why it's called, that is why verse 11 speaks of an equipping, sorry, Verse 12 says, there is an equipping of the saints. Jesus is very generous. Jesus is absolutely committed to advancing his kingdom on the earth. Jesus is absolutely committed for you and me to experience his fullness. And so he gave gifts that we, say we, might experience the fullness. Fullness of Christ. Say, fullness of Christ. When we talk about him filling all things, what we're saying is we're seeing his power. 
We're seeing his might. We're seeing his manifest presence. We're seeing signs and wonders displayed and experienced within the community of the people and those who are in direct relationship with us. Do we want Jesus to fill all things? Absolutely. We want to attain, we want to come to the place where we experience the fullness of Christ. I don't know about you, but I need that. So what does it say? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? So that they would equip the saints. You who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you who have received him as your Lord, who have bowed your knee, bended your knee to him in loyalty to him and surrendered your life to him, you are the saint. And you ought to be equipped for the work of ministry. So there's ministry to do. There's an equipping of the saints that needs to happen. The other thing that needs to happen is that the body needs to be built up. There needs to be a construction, a project that happens that you are under. And this is becoming a building or an edifice, right, that can become a suitable dwelling place for God. Jesus already does that by dying on the cross, right, uh, forgiving your sins, raising from the dead, ascending on high, giving you the spoils of his victory. Jesus does this by instilling in you his Holy Spirit. He's already building up. But this, as I understand scripture, your sanctification, your upbringing and your your building up is not just your responsibility. It's not just a work of the Holy Spirit. It's also you coming into alignment with it. And it's not just you coming into alignment. It's you coming into a community that is committed to it. Your sanctification, your becoming like Christness, is a community project. Not an individualistic work of your own. It's his work in you. You aligning yourself with him and us helping you along the way. This is why he gives gifts. This is how we can experience the fullness of Christ. To what end? It says here, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This brings us, this brings us into a maturity, to a mature manhood. And as you see, you'll see later on, In verse uh, 14, what does maturity look like? Well, it looks like no longer being a child. How many of you are glad that your, your children are done being children? Right. You're like glad. Finally, you can contribute. Finally, I'm not having to wipe your butt. You know what I mean? I'm just excited about all this stuff. (laughs) No more tantrums, no more irresponsible decisions, because they're mature, and they're taking responsibility for their actions, right? And they're cleaning up their own messes, 
And so the, the, the picture of maturity is no longer being a child, no longer being a ragdoll, thrown here, thrown there, tossed to and fro, no longer being carried by the wind. It's like that you know, boat who puts their sails out carried by the wind. We're no longer carried by any wind of doctrine. Just because it tickles your ear doesn't mean that it is true. Doesn't mean that it is good. Doesn't mean that it will make you or have you experience the fullness of Christ. We can actually stunt our maturity. We can remain in immaturity if, our, if we are not wise about what we let influence us. We need to be careful with that. No longer being... Uh, would it say, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, human uh, strategy, or even craftiness and deceitfulness and deceitful schemes. We're no longer trying to finagle our way and uh, craft our own way and be deceitful about it. This is the opposite of maturity. So we're remaining in the truth. We're aligning ourselves with the Spirit's leadership. We are allowing our love for Jesus to grow, and we are growing up into the body of which Christ is the head. In order for, here's the argument that I see Paul making, in order for that mature manhood to happen, you need, you and me, we need the apostles. We need the prophets. We need the evangelists. We need the shepherds, and we need the teachers. And so what I would like to do for the rest of our time is talk about what prophetic ministry and what evangelistic ministry looks like in the church or how you and I would benefit from it in our church. Pastor Jim next week will then take the others, right? The other, what is it? Three, there you go. I can add two plus three is five, the fivefold ministry. So I'm doing two, Pastor Jim will do three next week. The two that we're going to do today are the prophets and the evangelists. Some of you are shaking in your boots right now. But I want to ease you. Because there's, I think, a misconception that has arisen in the church today that equates New Testament prophetic ministry to the Old Testament. If you look at the New Testament prophetic ministry, what you see is that it's distinct from the Old Testament. Mainly in these categories that I see. I see it's distinct in that New Testament uh, prophecy is not authoritative. In the Old Testament, those who wrote scripts, those who were prophets received a direct message from the Lord. And they can confidently say, thus says the Lord. And what they said is scripture, and what they said is authoritative, and what they said should be followed. Fast forward to Jesus's, after Jesus' death when he instilled apostolic ministry. What we see is that those, the apostles now become the authoritative figures in the church. What they speak is the word of God. What they say is the word of God. What they say is written down. You got me? So in the Old Testament, prophetic ministry was authoritative. Whatever they said goes. And if they said something wrong, they were stoned for it. 
because God did not say it. In the New Testament, the authority, the authority is apostolic authority, not uh, prophetic authority. Second, which goes with that thought, is that the apostolic or prophetic ministry is subjected to apostolic authority. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37-38, calling the prophets, giving them a check and balance. He said, you think you're prophets, but know that what I'm saying is the Lord's command. So he says, I don't care if you're prophets. Listen to what I'm saying. This is the Lord's command. You see how the authority of the prophet is subjected to the authority of the apostle? Yes? The other thing we see, like I mentioned and alluded to earlier, is that New Testament prophecy is fallible. Old Testament prophecy could not be. If there was error, there was direct consequence, right? But in the New Testament, what we see is that it has room. There is room to not get it right the first time. And to to work on this. And to improve on this. For example, there was a well-known prophet in the New Testament in Acts chapter 21. His name was Agabus. And he came to Paul before Paul departed Ephesus to go back to Jerusalem and said, Hey, let me get your belt. Tie your hands with your belt. And I'm just going to let you know that just as I have done this, the Jews are going to tie your hands and hand you over to the Gentiles. That's the prophetic word that he received. How many of you want that kind of prophetic word? Paul received that. So many understood that's like, all right, then you shouldn't go, Paul. Paul's like, no, that's the wrong interpretation. I'm going. I'm going. Right? And so they're like, okay, whatever. We love you. (laughs) I'm going to miss you. What ends up happening, what ends up happening is that the Jews create a riot, but they don't bind Paul. The Gentiles are actually the ones who put him in balance. So was Agabus wrong? In that little detail, maybe, right? But did Paul face opposition? The point is, is that New Testament prophecy doesn't have to be 100% accurate. You get what I'm saying? It's, it's, a, it's a trial and error type of thing. There's room to make a mistake. So all of you who have your stones in your purses, please put them down. You know what I mean? Take them home with you. Don't stone me. I'm not really claiming to be a prophet, so whatever. All right. See the distinction? And so I want to start there to ease your your mind about what prophetic ministry in the church looks like. It's different than the Old Testament. Thank you for writing that along with me. So what is prophecy? According to Wayne Grudem, who is a theologian, knows more than I do, he says, to prophesy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Telling something that uh, God has spontaneously brought to mind. And this is the kind of prophecy that you and I should be eagerly desiring to be in. Holy Spirit is inside of you. Therefore, God is always speaking. Holy Spirit is inside of you. Therefore, God is always speaking. 
The question is, are you suppressing it or are you letting him speak? Are you taking his cues? Right? Are you taking cues from the Holy Spirit? Are you doing what Jesus did? Jesus lived a Holy Spirit-empowered life. Jesus is a prophet. And he lived his prophetic life under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I would say it's no different for us. There is a difference between the office of prophecy and the gift of prophecy. What I'm mainly emphasizing is the gift of prophecy that is accessible for all of us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, I already said this, he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Tongues is, is important for the body, but really what we're talking about is gifts that bring the revelation of God, <clears throat> that speak of his heart, excuse me, Thank you. What we see is <clears throat> that he is, there's my train of thought, along with the clearing of my throat. What was I saying? Senior moment? Oh, man. Already catching up to me. Okay. We're seeing Jesus' heart. We're seeing his mind. We're seeing his love expressed to the church through his people. And we need that. We need the Lord to continually affirm his love for us. And we need direction from the Lord. And we need the leadership of the Lord. In our church, in our lives, in everything. We need prophetic ministry. So what does it do? First of all, prophetic ministry exhorts the church to pursue love. It's never, the, the word and the message that you give is never uh, done outside of love. Otherwise, you're not doing it properly. It's not just a rebuke out of revenge and ha that's what you get. It can be a rebuke, but it can also be a rebuke in love. So in everything, we pursue love. Say pursue love. So the, the prophetic ministry exhorts us to pursue that love. It also equips the church on how to hear God's voice. Did you know that all throughout Scripture, God had always been speaking, and he has many methods of speaking to his people. I mean, he used a burning bush. He used a donkey. He used dreams. He used visions. All of the above, right, are the things that were readily accessible to the Lord. He used Scripture an impression, a feeling, a thought. You could even get a picture from the Lord, right? Some people saw a hand writing something on a wall. I mean, you don't want that kind of uh, prophetic word because there was judgment attached to that. There's open visions, visions that you have, your, your eyes are open and you're seeing it unfold in front of you. And there are visions that are happening in your mind's eye. That no, I, I guess nobody else can see the open vision either. But you can see it, but it's not with your eyes, but it's happening in your head. These are visions. I would say that would be equal to the trance that Peter was in when he saw the, <clears throat> the blanket of crustaceans come down from heaven. Hallelujah for shrimp. 
So the prophet, the prophetic ministry equips you on how to hear your, God's voice individually, hear God's voice for yourself, how to hear God's voice for others, right? And also teaches you how to develop this. Amen? I would say there's a two-step to prophetic. There's receiving. Let's say three. There's three steps. There's receiving, there's discerning, and then there is delivering. Right? So the mode of receiving a word from the Lord, a prophecy or a message or uh, a spontaneous thing that comes to your mind could look like I said earlier with dreams, thoughts, pictures, visions. Got it? And then the next step is for you to discern this. Is it for me? Is it for someone else, for another individual? Is this message for the church? And is it the right time? Get it? So God is going to speak. We anticipate that. If you look at our values, we value the living and active word of God. God is always speaking through his word. We value the Holy Spirit leading our prayer. God is always leading his people in prayer. We value anointed worship. God is always inhabiting the praises of his people, right? And so our values here are, in a sense, prophetic. We receive from the Lord, and therefore we minister to one another. Amen? So right now... Because I believe the Lord speaks, I want you to close your eyes right here in this place. And I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you call me? What do you call me? Or what do you think about me today? And those of you who have analytical minds, I would encourage you to stop thinking. And let let the Holy Spirit speak. So don't overthink it. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. Amen. So as you sat there, uh, how many of you would say, I'm not asking you to uh, reveal what was said. I'm just asking you to raise your hand if you receive something. Amen. Keep your hands up if you hear a message. So now, that is something that you should treasure, something that will help you love Jesus more, right? Right? and help you experience the fullness of God. Now, for those of you who feel awkward because you didn't receive something, that's absolutely okay. If you didn't get a word or whatever it is that you feel right now, don't feel it. It's okay. No one was forcing uh, anything. I should have said that earlier, right? It's absolutely okay if you didn't get anything. It doesn't say less of you as a Christian. Got it? So the Lord is speaking, right? 
He does that. And he loves to speak to us. Treasure it. Maybe do that this week. As you're spending time with the Lord, just sit down long enough to hear and to listen. Amen? Amen. He will never speak anything that is contrary to his word. He will never speak anything that contradicts it. It's always in, in agreement with the revealed will of God in the scriptures. Amen? So what you heard, you ought to ask then the next question, does the scripture say? Say anything about what I just heard and test it with the word. And then you can absolutely be sure it was the Lord. <laughs> Amen? Okay. Next, the evangelist. I don't have to convince you of that, right? Everybody knows that evangelism is important. Yes? <laughs> yes, because we want Jesus to fill all things. And that is the earth. That is everyone who is in the earth. We want that. The evangelist is someone who announces the good news. The evangelist is someone who doesn't need others around to embolden them to preach the gospel. The evangelist is someone who is, just does it, and it's cake work. Like, it's not even hard for you. And I, in a Christian way, hate you for that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I love you with all the love that Jesus, and we need you. We need those who are gifted in this way. So how does evangelistic ministry help the church, benefit the church, equip the church? Evangelistic ministry promotes the understanding of the gospel. Wherever there's evangelistic ministry, there is an understanding of what Christ has done. We already talked about his victory, yes? Did you know that his victory required him to die? And that his death <clears throat> was not based on the things that he did, but on the things that you and I did. And his death was for our sin. So he was the substitution for us. He became the substitution for us. Did you know that he didn't stay dead? He was buried. And that he rose again on the third day. And he is not just roaming the earth right now. He's not doing that. He also ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he is victoriously reigning on his throne. And we are awaiting for his kingdom to come in its fullness here on earth. This is what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He says, I delivered to you what is of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said to them, this is the important message of the gospel. Jesus died for sins. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. This message, according to Romans 1.16, is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. 
Paul also exhorts the church, or sorry, yeah, here, the evangelistic ministry also exhorts the church to take ownership of the Great Commission. It wasn't just something Jesus said to his disciples. Remember when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That was not just a command for his apostles. It's a command for the church until Jesus comes. We need to take ownership, ownership of the Great Commission. This is his call for you. You may not feel like an evangelist, but this is why we need an evangelist to help you and equip you. You get it? The idea here is not that we become the prophet, that we become the evangelist, but that we receive an impartation from the prophet and the evangelist. That in our maturity, we look, we have a little bit from all of these. And we could be, we're able to minister to one another, minister to those who are in our world. That's the, the vision. That's the mentality. And that's how we grow. You are a product not just of your dad, you're a product of your mom and your dad, right? They both instilled values, for better or worse, into you, right? And so you, you are influenced by your mom, your dad. You're not just influenced by them, you're influenced by your teachers. You know arithmetic, you know how to read, you know science because of your teachers, got it? So even in life, we are influenced by all types of people and we can come to a place in time in our lives and say, I've reached maturity. Hopefully. The evangelistic minister also teaches the church how to introduce the lost to Jesus. I like the simple uh, statement that Paul makes in Romans 10, 9 through 11. Let me read that to you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, say confession, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, say belief, you will be saved, say salvation. Verse 10 says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is a confession and there is a belief. Confession flows from belief. Your job is to be able to speak the truth about what Jesus Christ has done. Mind you, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin so just know that any opportunity you have to share jesus the holy spirit has already been working inside so while you're doing the ear work the holy spirit's doing the heart work so you're not alone jesus says i am with you even to the end of the age and that includes in your making of disciples he's with you amen I mean, you already said amen, but I just want to ask again. So there is a belief that flows, uh, the confession that flows out of belief. And what do we believe? We believe that Jesus died and that he 
rose again. And what is the name that we call? We call on Jesus to save us. The other thing that the evangelist, evangelistic ministry teaches us is how to sustain our Christianity in the gospel. Many of us, when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have a time stamp, you know, date and time in the past. Oh, I, I asked Jesus to save me and forgive me for my sins on that day. And, and now I called upon him to save me, and he did. He did do that on that day. But what about today? What about today when you have been tempted, when you have, uh, haven't been honest, when you have had a bad attitude? What about today? So it's not a time in history. It's about what he does for you today. Jesus' forgiveness for you is, is sorry, Jesus' forgiveness is for you today. It's not a time in history, it's today. The reason why uh, a lot of people struggle when they sin, it's like, I'm supposed to be a Christian, I'm doing the same crap over and over again, I'm tired of this. How many of you have been there? Okay, uh, all, the, all the rest of you are probably liars. And so the good, the good thing about that is, is that we can have two responses, not the good thing. We can have two responses to our sin right here and there. We can work, try hard, uh, say, Jesus, look, I'm doing this all to repay. I can be kinder now. Now, now do, you, do you love me? So we can make it a pursuit of his love by our works Or we can let him have the definitive answer saying, I love you. I demonstrate it when I died for you on the cross. That does not change depending on what you're doing today. I've always loved you. I've forgiven your sin. You are mine. That settles it. Isn't that good? That's different than doing something wrong and then just trying to be better. To get his love and feel like you belong in his presence. Jesus says, I know you, you're jacked up. I know. Just stop trying to do it and trust me. When I say that you are forgiven, you are forgiven. When I say that you've been redeemed, you are redeemed. When I say that you're my child, you are my child. That doesn't change. Amen? And so the, the evangelistic ministry helps us live our lives sustained and centered in the gospel. Amen? So, do you see why we need prophets? Do you see why we need evangelists? We need prophetic ministry and we need evangelistic ministry so that we can experience the fullness of Christ together and individually, primarily, together. If you want to become a mature person in the Lord, then you need this five-fold ministry. We need the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. I want you to take time now, just close your eyes, and ask the Lord, If there is a person 
to reveal a person that you can pray for, a person that you would say is lost, and then ask the Lord for an open door to share the good news with him. Can you take the time now to to pray in that way? Amen. As I was sharing about Jesus, you may be a person that's like, I don't think I've ever believed and made a confession and called upon him to save me. Perhaps while I was uh, preaching, that came to your mind and you feel like you need to respond to that. I want to give you an opportunity uh, to come and speak to me. I'm not going to do anything here our time is up but if you feel like there is a next step that you need to make and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ I'd encourage you to come and talk to me Pastor Jim's over there by the Connection Center um, and I we would be glad to speak with you and and to lead you in this amen so I just want to draw your attention to that let me pray over us Lord we thank you that you are speaking. We thank you that you, uh, you desire to love on us and to give us direction and to lead us. And you desire to do that in the world too with the lost. You want to show them your heart. You want them to come to a knowledge of the truth, Lord, of your love, tr- the truth about your love for them. And we know that when they encounter your love fully, they will surrender to you as we have. And we ask, Lord, for more of that, that we would trust you and not move into works or earning your love, but that we would trust what you say. And we open our ears to you, Holy Spirit, and we ask that you would speak to us. We ask, Lord, that as a result, Lord, there will be an increase of dreams and visions and pictures and more scripture references being brought to spontaneously to our minds, being brought up spontaneously to our minds, Lord. Uh, we just want to do Christian life uh, with constant check-ins with you. Just like we value relationship with one another and when We don't hear from someone in a while. We check in. That's what we want, Lord. We want uh, daily check-ins with you. Uh, Daily hearing, Lord, of your heart for us and others. And we ask for uh, that that would be easy, Lord. That that would be easy because we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for the gifts that you have given to us out of the spoils of your victory. And we declare in this place, Jesus, you are victorious. Ooh, hallelujah, and we know it. Let your victory fill all things so we all experience the fullness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast 
and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.